0: This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest, I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Warfare and unrest are creating a flood of refugees. The United Nations estimates there are more than 21 million refugees worldwide. Resettling them is a controversial topic. About 2.5 million refugees are in Turkey alone, while many other refugees and migrants have resettled in Europe. President Trump citing problems in Europe and concerns about terrorism, wants a 120-day delay in accepting refugees into the United States until the vetting process is examined. Lutherans have long been involved in helping refugees. In 1939, the National Lutheran Council set up a department to help Lutheran refugees fleeing Nazi Germany. In 1954, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod worked with what would become the Lutheran Immigration and Naturalization Service. LIRS CEO and President Linda Hartke says there's a lot of misinformation concerning refugees, including the exact definition of what is a refugee, the vetting of refugees as opposed to immigrants, and where they are from. Ms. Hartke and I discuss these issues on today's World Lutheran News Digest.
1: And now today's Fast Track... I'm Sarah Golseth with news in brief of interest to Lutherans worldwide. A Washington floral artist says she will ask the U.S. Supreme Court to reverse a decision by the state's high court that concluded that the government can force her, and by extension other Washingtonians, to create artistic expression and participate in events with which they disagree. Alliance Defending Freedom Attorneys represent Richland floral artist Baronel Stutzman, whom the State Attorney General and the American Civil Liberties Union sued for acting consistently with her faith. A lower court ruled that Stutzman must pay penalties and attorney fees for declining to use her artistic abilities to design custom floral arrangements for a longtime customer's same-sex ceremony. Norma McCarvey, the plaintiff known as Jane Roe in the Supreme Court case that legalized abortion in all 50 states, Roe v. Wade, died February 18th. She was 69 years old. After the landmark Supreme Court decision, McCorvey dedicated her life to overturning it and became a notable pro-life advocate. Ironically, McCorvey had three children and never had an abortion. First Liberty Institute announces they reached a settlement agreement between the state of Georgia and First Liberty's client, Dr. Eric Walsh. The state of Georgia agreed to pay $225,000 to settle Dr. Walsh's religious discrimination lawsuit. Dr. Walsh, a lay minister and former Georgia government employee, filed a lawsuit against the Georgia Department of Public Health after evidence surfaced that he had been fired because of his religious beliefs. A federal court ruled that the City of Lansing's Housing Commission cannot bar a Michigan church from community meeting space available to other groups. Even though the commission allowed other groups, including other churches, to use community rooms at its public housing developments, it told His Healing Hands Church that it couldn't meet in any of the rooms because the meetings are of a religious nature. An Alliance Defending Freedom allied attorney represents the church in a lawsuit filed in 2015. The court issued a preliminary injunction against the city last year. The court order makes that injunction permanent.
2: This
0: is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm Kip Allen, host of World Lutheran News Digest. My guest today is Ms. Linda Hartke, who's the executive director and the president of the Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service. Linda, can you tell me a bit about yourself and about the organization?
2: Thank you, Kip. Um, Well, I live and work in Baltimore, Maryland, where the national headquarters of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service has been for the last 17 years. LIRS, as it's known by its acronym, has been working to resettle refugees here in the United States for more than 75 years, um, founded as the Lutheran response to the flight of refugees from Europe at the time of World War II.
0: My understanding, I've read your history, is that it actually started out in 1939, just as the war was breaking out. And uh, so what we were trying to do, I think there were a lot of the people who were fleeing Nazi Germany. Uh, Lutherans, especially, and this is really how this started.
2: That's right. I mean, it was an early sign of um, Lutherans' generosity and work to protect refugees seeking safety. In this case, Lutheran brothers and sisters that they didn't know yet uh, from Europe, and and that work has continued uh, across now decades of of welcoming refugees to the United States, ensuring that they're protected and safe.
0: What exactly is the mission of the LIRS? You said the, the welcoming them in, training them, trying to get them in, how does that work?
2: Well, our, our mission is ultimately to assist both refugees and vulnerable migrants, people who are fleeing for their lives, um, to be welcomed into this country, um, to find a home here, to feel that they belong here, and that American communities find a part and a role they can play in, in that welcome. With, with refugees, our, our work involves each year uh, a, a negotiation with the Department of State over a certain number of refugees that we'll welcome. Last year, it was well over 13,000 refugees that we received, that were screened and vetted by the united states government um, and then we were given the opportunity to resettle them and engage local communities and local congregations in in receiving them in walking alongside them as they begin their new life as they learn english as kids get into school as they learn to drive and and begin to rebuild their lives in a new homeland
0: we're seeing a situation now in this country where many of the incoming refugees and and migrants are not lutheran they do not are not even necessarily christian do we work with them as well is it, does it cross uh, these lines or do we still concentrate on lutherans
2: no, it, it works. Um, I mean, our work is with those seeking safety from from all faiths and from many, many countries. If we were only resettling Lutheran refugees, it wouldn't be very many these days, maybe a few from Liberia, a few from Eritrea. There, there aren't many Lutherans in this world now seeking safety as they did in 1939.
0: So now what we're looking for are the people who are persecuted. These are not people who are, are seeking a work visa these are not people who come here looking for going to school these are people who are in distress
2: that's right i mean a, a refugee is someone who has been forced to flee for their life forced by persecution by by violence and who have crossed a border seeking safety for themselves and their their family There are well over 20 million refugees in the world today. Most of them dream only of going home in safety and peace. They'll wait for a long time in a refugee camp in Jordan, in Kenya, in Lebanon, uh, in Egypt, in many places around the world, waiting for the possibility of going home. But When they lose hope of that, when it becomes impossible for them to go home, when it becomes untenable for them to stay where they are, then they may seek resettlement in what would now be their third country.
0: Now, how does this work? Does the LIRS actually contact the refugees directly? Do they contact the U.S. State Department? Do they contact a third agency like the U.N. and then it's passed on to us? How does that work?
2: So the the refugee overseas would first approach the United Nations, the Office of the High Commissioner for Refugees, and would be interviewed, screened, and granted refugee status Oh, this so, is
0: UN status, correct? This
2: is that's right, and and that means simply a determination um, after interview and screening that that they meet the international definition of being a refugee, and and then you know they may use that status um, where they are perhaps to access a small food ration, water rations, maybe. A place, a tent to sleep in, uh, in a in a refugee camp. That's about all that 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 will get them, and and when they decide that that they can no longer stay where they are or return home, they can request. Um, resettlement in a third country it doesn't mean they'll get it uh, but it means that they can express their interest
0: so a person who had been granted this refugee status by the u.n could then go to a u.n official and say i can't stay here i can't go home i'd like to resettle in the united states at which point the u.s government is involved and then i'm assuming that the state department refers this to you how does that work
2: (laughs) That's right. And actually, they don't say, I am I want to be resettled in the United States. They say, I want to be resettled in a third country for my safety and for the future of my family. They don't get to choose what country they, they go to. Um, the United Nations then continues to do some additional screening and may refer a refugee's case if they think it meets the priorities and interests of a government that resettles refugees, whether it be Canada or Australia, France, the UK, the United States, refers a case then to that government. And and at that stage, then, for refugees referred to the US for consideration, the Department of State would be involved, also the Department of Homeland Security, and a number of US intelligence agencies as well. In the process of interviews, and screening, vetting refugees um, to consider their admission to the United States.
0: Certainly, there is a fear. I think we've seen this recently in the news of, of concerning maybe possible terrorism coming in through the refugees uh, through the refugee stream. And yet, we're seeing some vetting here. How how efficient is the vetting? How extreme is the vetting?
2: Well, the vetting that exists now, of course, has changed over time. In the period after the 9 11 attacks, um, refugee resettlement. Um, declined significantly, and new procedures and mechanisms were put in place. And within even the last several years, new requirements, new tests, new forms of vetting—for example, like screening—all of the social media contacts of of refugees have been put in place. The process of screening and vetting refugees is more intense by many times over than any other immigrant who's ever admitted to the United States. If they come to work or to go to school or to join a family member, um, the the vetting of refugees, again, is is many, many times over um, in the length of time and the depth of, of the screening. For most refugees, it now takes 18 to 24 months for the vetting process.
0: The president has called for a 120-day moratorium on refugees from seven separate countries that have been specifically listed as being problem nations. And, of course, this is now being challenged. Uh, the uh, I believe it was the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has overturned it, and that's still going to go through the legal process. How does the LRS respond to this, and how does it impact the work that you have with the refugees?
2: Well, our... Our belief that is that the the pause or suspension of refugee resettlement, um, both from the seven countries, but in fact the president's executive order suspended all refugee resettlement for 120 days, is really unnecessary. If it's perfectly legitimate for the president and his administration to be interested in examining the vetting process that has been implemented, but it's not necessary to stop refugee resettlement, to be turning back families and children at the airport who had been vetted, had been waiting for years and years already to come to the U.S. to join family. That kind of examination of the vetting process, adjustments they may wish to make, could happen while the program continues. So it's it's really not necessary. But I think more importantly, again, the refugee program is not the way that someone seeking to do America harm would choose to enter this country. Again, it takes usually 18 to 24 months. It's more intense and thorough than any other vetting process of any other immigrant into this country. In fact, the, the process is so extreme already that if there is any question in an interview process or a screening process, if Uh, A refugee story doesn't sound quite right or it's told two different ways at different times or their name gets flagged because it's the name of someone on a watch list, even if it's not the same person. All of those things put that person's application on hold and it's over. They will not be admitted to the U.S. under any circumstance. There's no appeal. It's not reconsidered. It's just over. So the default is extreme, that if there's any question, they're not admitted to the United States.
0: Let's take a person who has passed the vetting process and is now admitted to the United States. What happens to that person now? The, the LIRS is uh, has a role in settling them into communities around the country. How does that work?
2: So there are nine national networks of, of organizations that do this work. Um, the Lutherans, we're proud to say, are second, only behind the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops. And so we do welcome, and we welcome well, um, our new neighbors to this country. So we pick up from right from their arrival at the airport with friends, new friends and family there to meet them, with a caseworker that speaks their language. Um, to get them into an apartment that very often has been furnished by a local congregation, to have on their arrival a hot meal of food that's familiar to them, and and then starts the hard work, the hard work of their integration into this country.
0: You work closely with local congregations.
2: That's right. We, we work both through registered service organizations, Lutheran social service organizations around the U.S. and local congregations as well. This this work of welcome is, is, it's most impactful when there are a circle of new friends around a refugee family that's just arrived. So they feel fully supported.
0: I spoke to a refugee, not a refugee, actually, I spoke to a pastor in Texas a couple of years ago And there were a large number of Iranians down there, Farsi speakers. And they were his church was trying to work directly with these people who were overwhelmingly uh, Muslim. Uh, And he said something that really impressed me, and that was the Great Commission, where Jesus said, make disciples of the nations. Well, we're in a situation where we can't go to some of these nations. And so the nations are being brought to us and we have the opportunity to spread the gospel to these people who may never have heard it before.
2: Well, that that's right. And, you know, what greater command do we have also than to love and serve our neighbor? And that doesn't just mean the neighbor who lives next door or the neighbor that we know, but the neighbor's that God gives to us, that God puts into our pathway that creates an opportunity and a possibility for a, a relationship, including the sharing of our faith.
0: Well, I believe there was the, was it the Sermon on the Mount when a uh, a uh, man said what Jesus said about loving your neighbor and he said, I'm a camel driver, who's my neighbor? He said, all of mankind is your neighbor.
2: That's right. And it's a it's a, a, a beautiful and inspiring opportunity, and invitation to every faithful Lutheran and Christian to be a part of this ministry because of that calling.
0: Another thing I remember talking to another missionary. Uh, this fellow had been working in Indonesia again. Uh, this was after the tsunami, and uh, they had been doing a lot of refu- a lot of work with the survivors and the people there, and sometime after the tsunami had had, uh, subsided and things were starting to calm down, uh, he said he and several other missionaries had received a delegation of uh, local uh, Muslim leaders. And the question was, why are you doing this? Why are you here? These aren't your people, these are not Christians. Why are you here helping? And the response was, because we're Christians, because they are our people, Our God expects it of us.
2: That's right. That's right. We don't we don't do this work to serve um, or or to choose to serve only Christian refugees who yes as well deserve our love and protection, but we do it because because of our faith.
0: Could, can individual churches get in touch with your organization if they're interested in helping to resettle a family or be involved? How can they do this?
2: Absolutely. There's there's information on our website at lirs.org. Um they can easily contact us and also see a map of the country and the 48 communities around the U.S. where we resettle refugees and who the local partner organization is and how to reach them.
0: Are you active here in the St. Louis area?
2: We are not. We are not. We've we've tried. I, I must say that, um, you know, with our work being one of nine organizations nationally that do this work, we we don't... Have the luxury of being able to choose ourselves um, Mm. where we will do this work. There is a process of going through consultation with local and state government and also with the State Department as to who is the lead organization in each community to resettle refugees.
0: The reason I raised that was I'm not sure if you're aware of it or not, but St. Louis is home to the largest uh, population of Bosnian. Refugees. Yes, and in fact, there are more Bosnians in St. Louis than there are in Sarajevo, I believe.
2: Yes, and um, and you know, and and I think that's been an important story for St. Louis as well. I mean, certainly St. Louis has been a welcoming place to those refugees. They've become real assets in the community. Mm-hmm. They've started small businesses. They've rehabbed. Even whole neighborhoods.
0: Oh yes, they've uh, been very good neighbors.
2: That's right, and you know it's it's one of the the great benefits of of this work. Um, we we welcome our new neighbors, and they become valued assets in our communities and in our churches, eager to give back with gratitude and appreciation to America.
0: And of course, as with any endeavor, it costs money. How are you financed? Are you are you getting outside money? Or are you going for donations? And how can people donate to the LIRS program?
2: So our support comes through a variety of, of channels. Um, a significant part of the resources comes from our tax dollars from the US government to assist with the initial 90 to 120 day period of resettlement for refugees when they first arrive. We we have support from the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, from Lutheran congregations, from individuals. We have support, financial support from former refugees. Um, we have something called a refugee alumni network that as well gives back to LIRS to be able to help others who are coming after them.
0: We started in 1939 resettling uh, uh, largely Germans. Who are the people we're, we're resettling now? Are they from the Middle East? Are they North Africans? Where, where are they from?
2: Well, the single largest group of refugees that we're resettling now are Congolese, um, and then probably followed by Iraqi, Burmese, Somali, and Syrians.
0: Congolese, I didn't realize that there was a that big of a problem in, in in the Congo.
2: It's been a long, protracted crisis there, and and it has only been until the last couple of years that agreement was reached with the UN and with the Department of State to to start resettling refugees.
0: So, we're having what? There's civil war, we're having revolution, illness, famine?
2: That's right. And and the crisis there also has been one where gender-based violence, where rape as an instrument of war has run rampant. So, many of the refugees coming are women with children um, without uh, a husband, able to come with them, probably not surviving. And and so they come to this country, deeply wounded, not only physically but but also spiritually. Um, so they're they're welcome. They're, the care and protection, the the need to offer comfort and and support is incredibly important.
0: The cultural shock has to be immense. Uh, do these people get counseling? Are they, is there something to help ease them into what? To them, must be a very strange and alien society.
2: Can you imagine explaining, trying to explain to a refugee the purpose of a smoke detector? <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, so there are many things I think about this country that people struggle with. But refugees, before they travel from overseas, go through a, a quick three day cultural orientation. Can you imagine three days to learn everything you need to know about America? <laughs> the good news is the good news is that once they arrive here there's a, a longer process of work with um, with refugees to understand um, the things they will need to deal with in in the schools, in their neighborhood, as a renter of an apartment, beginning to understand uh, what an ATM is and why you put a plastic card in and money just comes out. Uh, <laughs> and, and as well, it's an important role for congregations. Um, when, when refugees know that they have friends they can rely on who are there for them to continue to understand this big, wonderful, sometimes odd and confusing country. Uh, It's it's a wonderful comfort and it gives people confidence that they can get through this. Mm
0: -hmm. Linda, we're about out of time. Is there something that you'd like to finish up with to to end the program on on a note with our audience?
2: Well, we're so grateful to the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, to Lutheran congregations and individuals all over this country. But I also want to say to all of your listeners that we are all blessed by the presence of refugees. They they change our lives for the better. They make this country stronger. Um, They're good neighbors, they're assets in our congregations. And we have the opportunity in welcoming them to demonstrate our faith and to be a sure and constant presence and comfort.
0: Linda, thank you so much for being a guest on World Lutheran News Digest, and may God bless you and the organization.
2: Thank you so much.
0: World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime, streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen.